from WCL Pure, this is One Ocean. I'm your host, Reese Pacheco, and I'm really excited to launch this podcast. So firstly, just thank you for listening. There are so many apps and shows and podcasts firing for our attention out there. So I'm grateful you're spending time with us and hope you enjoy the journey as we jump into the discussion. And I say jump into the discussion because ocean conservation isn't new. There are activists, artists, academics, and athletes who have been working to protect our ocean well before we started this podcast, before the World Surf League or WSL Pure even existed, and well, before I was even born. But too often their work seems out of sight and out of mind. The ocean's a big place, and most of us are just busy with our day-to-day. Also, we feel we have a unique opportunity and really a responsibility to help raise up those voices. As surfing grows in popularity and as the World Surf League reaches more and more people, it's imperative that we respect and protect the ocean and highlight the helpers. So we're here to speak with them, to learn from them and be inspired by the human beings doing great work for our ocean. We have some awesome episodes coming up with some really interesting people. We dive into change making, ocean conservation, and sustainability. And I'm really proud to say that we have a great sponsor right off the bat in Outer Known. Outer Known makes uh, incredible clothing out of organic cotton and denim that is some of the most sustainable on the planet. And it's awesome that they care about the ocean and want to promote stories like these. So we're thankful to them for their support. So let's get into our first conversation. I'm really excited to start uh, our first episode with someone who recently inspired me with her passion and her grit. A few years ago, Alex Weber discovered a treasure trove of golf balls bobbing around in the ocean off the coast of her hometown. But it's what she did about it that makes for a fascinating story. I feel really lucky to have caught some time with Alex, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. So without further ado, here's Alex Weber. Your story has kind of broken out a little bit. Um, you know, we all some of us in the plastic pollution ocean conservation space, I think, heard about you. Um, you were on NPR, right? Uh, a couple other outlets, which is pretty cool. But like, really take me back to the start of this project. You know, you're free diving with your dad, right? Yeah. So it's it's funny to start telling the story because when my dad and I came across the golf balls, we had no plans at all to create anything out of it. So basically, my dad has done an awesome job raising me in the ocean. That's my favorite place to be. It's where we spend all of our time. And so my dad was taking me out free diving to practice my breath holding for jade diving and spear fishing and different waterman activities. And we dropped our heads below the water and instead of seeing laminaria and macrocystis and all the beautiful invertebrates of the Monterey Bay, we saw just a runway for golf balls. And was that, that was the first time? Was that the first time you'd seen golf balls like that when you went out there? Or had you seen them? Like, did you know that there was something there or was it literally you went out first training session and you saw them and you went, this is crazy. And did you do something about it right away? Or did you, did you kind of go like, did you, did you see it for a while before you said, what can we do? Or, you know. Yeah, so I was previously to that, um, I was doing a lot of microplastic collection because in 2015, 2016, we had huge winter swells in mm-hmm. the Monterey Bay and it brought in tons of nurdles and microplastics and stuff like that from the gyres. And I would spend hours after school picking up these microplastics. And I mean, I started to feel hopeless because at the end of the day, how much plastic are you picking up and what kind of difference is that making? And so when my dad brought me out into the ocean and, and we found the golf balls, Part of me was excited because I was like, this is way more fun. I get to free dive. <laughs> I get to be in the ocean with my dad and I get to pick up a significant amount more plastic. But the other half of me was wanting to cry because I couldn't see the seafloor. Like there was this blanket of moving plastic that was just clearly degrading into different microplastics that maybe I'm finding on the beach earlier. But um It was a heartbreaking experience, but it also lit a fuel under me because I was excited that this is a point source pollution because when you find a microplastic on the beach, you can't track down who created it and talk to them. So define point source pollution. Go deeper into that. Really explain it so that people understand. So basically a point source pollution is a type of pollution that you can track back to the source. So in our case, golf balls clearly coming off the Pebble Beach golf course that is 20 feet above the ocean, directly above where I'm free diving. And so that's a clear connection we can make that these golf balls aren't traveling down the coast from somewhere else, but their source is right above us. Um, And so that was one of the inspiring things there because I knew that if I wanted to work on that issue, there could be change made there because we know exactly who to talk to and exactly what to target. And so going back to the story, when we first found the golf balls, we had no plans for it. I mean, we were out there like practicing free diving. And so my dad and I, we have our two piece wetsuits, you know, 
and we're just shoving them in. Like we have mesh <laughs> bags and our bags are filled. Like we're just exploding golf balls out of every crevice because the only thing we know is we don't want the plastic in the ocean. And so we went home that day and kind of like had to debrief about it and we're like, there's something that needs to be done here. Like I'm not willing to let my bay stay like that. My dad's a really good spear fisherman and he feeds our family in the bay shooting fish that maybe has plastic waste in it from golf balls. And so that was wow. kind of a, that was kind of one of the driving influences there. Yeah. So you got right on it then. Yeah. We, uh, we went back, I think I grabbed my friend blue and we came back about two weeks later and we collected well over 1500 golf balls. And that was, that was one of the first days that we realized the scale of it because it was crystal clear waters it was a completely flat day and there was no kelp on the bottom. And so when we looked down, it was just all golf balls. And so that's that's when my dad and I looked at each other and we we're like, this is this is going to be a big project. That's crazy. And did you did you um, did you look around to see if anybody else had done any work or done any cleanups first? H has anyone done anything prior to you in that area, at least? Um, and so. The people I've talked to, there's some local people that will just pick up golf balls off the beach, but there's never been a organized collection of underwater golf ball cleanups. Um, Pebble Beach hasn't ever done any sort of organized cleanups in the ocean, but yeah, we were the first ones to actually take charge of the underwater stuff. And so uh, what what came first? Because I forget. I mean, you have the plastic pickup. When was that formed? When did you start collecting? I mean, it was over a course of three years, right? That all of this was happening before you got to the point where you're like, hey, I've got 50,000 of these things now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we first came across the issue and started collecting in May of 2016. Um, and then that slowly turned into the plastic pickup. It was kind of just like us collecting golf balls. And once we had enough golf balls and realized how big of an issue this was, we realized the first thing we need to do is tell people about it. And the best way to tell people things is through video, because if you tell people there's golf balls in the ocean, they're probably like, yeah, okay. But if you show them that I can't see this the bottom of the ocean because it's just this like dynamic wave and blanket of plastic, then they feel the same emotions I felt when I saw the golf balls. Um, and so we started documenting it over video and that caused me to need some sort of platform to release it on. And so we came up with the plastic pickup because it was like the only email address available that was about plastic. <laughs> <laughs> One of the hardest things in all of our campaigning and ocean conservation work is always naming things and coming up with right. URLs, right? Like the number of times, you know, we're like, oh, that'd be a good name. Let's go look it up. And then it's like, ah, it's trademarked. Yep. Um, okay, cool. So the plastic pickup. Um, and so we created the plastic pickup. We started posting YouTube videos and stuff like that. We created a website um, and that was kind of the launching platform that really like allowed us to get in touch with other plastic pollution nonprofit organizations. Um, I went down to POPs down here in Southern California, which is Plastic Ocean Pollution Solution Conference for Youth. Um, and I got in touch with a lot of people there. I got to meet up with Marcus Erickson of Five Gyres. And Marcus is a legend. He is a legend. He, um, he actually was the first one to bring up the idea of publishing a research paper and he worked with me a little bit on that and so there was a lot of different influences that inspired different aspects of the plastic pickup um, but overall it's just been it's been a crazy process of opening doors in places you never thought would would happen and so it's crazy to see where we've gone with it. Yeah, for sure. So let's dig more into the research aspect. Uh, Marcus, Dr. Marcus Erickson is one of the founders of Five Gyres Institute. They're one of our partners with WCLPure. And Marcus is uh, all about the science angle, right? Publishing studies. He's published studies on um, an estimate of microplastic particles in the ocean distribution worldwide, et cetera, which is super nerdy, but super fascinating and super important data to help inform what we're doing. So he encouraged you to write a paper. Were there others pushing you to do you know, some academic research? And talk about that, because I feel like a lot of people at least at this stage of the project are like oh you picked up a bunch of golf balls and then we made it into this cool project but there's a whole research paper and activism campaign or impact campaign with the local golf course and I think that's really important to your story yeah absolutely um so Marcus was like the first person that introduced me to the idea of it. I was 16 when he told me about writing a manuscript. Yeah, like important side note, everyone. You were 16 when you started this. You know, I mean, you're very mature already and you've already accomplished more than many most people. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, by the way, you were 16 when you started. So um, cool. So you're 16 when you started thinking about, you know, publishing. Um, and I, I honestly had no idea what 
writing a manuscript even was like I had seen a couple in like my science classes that they like assigned us as reading but I had no idea in any sense of how to write one and so I I met with Marcus at Pops in February of 2017 and then I actually took a semester abroad and I was doing marine biology down in the Bahamas but when I got back I emailed a researcher that was actually based out of New York named Matthew Savoka and Matthew does research on a substance called dimethyl sulfide. He had just published a research paper about that. And essentially what dimethyl sulfide or DMS is, is the chemical that triggers animals to actually eat plastic because they can smell it in the ocean and they identify it as food. Basically when ocean or when plastic is in the ocean, it acts as a little poison pill and it will absorb different chemicals like BPAs, PCBs, um, flame retardants, all the, all the stuff we don't want getting in us. And in the process of that, it also has this chemical called dimethyl sulfide. And in his research paper, he describes the smell of it. And I read his research paper and then I go in my garage where I have something over 20,000 golf balls sitting and I'm like, this smells exactly what Matt is talking about. And so I... So you actually felt like you could smell it or you actually, there was a smell coming off the golf balls? They stink, yeah. Really? They, and they it's st- not just an ocean smell? It's not just because you know they've been in the ocean it's like a sulfury like you know when kelp's been on the beach for way too long and it's kind of just it's it's a funky smell to describe but you kind of know it when you smell it um and if you smell the golf ball wave that we made like you can still (laughs) if you get your nose up there you can still smell it yeah um but anyways i i was smelling them and i was like this smells exactly like what matt's talking about and so i is that harmful to inhale that to inhale that gas or to smell that gas or i don't think so Okay. I think it's, I actually couldn't tell you, but I, I, don't, I don't think so. Okay. Um, so you seem fine. I, I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> so I reach out to Matt and basically tell him that I've collected a good amount of plastic from the ocean and it smells really bad. And kind of my motive there was, well, Pebble Beach Company won't listen to me. They don't want to, they don't want to listen to a 16 year old girl that's telling them to pick up their trash when they could just push me away and keep me off the headlines. And so I thought maybe if I have this as a form of like evidence and data that they'll be forced to make change if I'm saying your golf balls are collecting this chemical that's causing animals to eat it. And so basically Matt actually reached out back to me, which first of all, I was surprised about because he's a postdoctoral researcher and why would he email a 16 year old? But anyways, he said, um, I'm going to need lab equipment to be able to test them, but it just so happens that I'm moving to Monterey this next week. And so it was this crazy coincidence, but we got to meet up two weeks later and he came over and he checked out the golf balls and he was the one that said to me, you know, have you thought about writing a research paper? And I said, I've been introduced to the idea, but as as I said earlier, I'm 16, I think I was 17 year old at that point. I still have no idea how to do this. And Matt basically reached out and grabbed my hand and he said, I will teach you how to do this whole thing and we can publish together. Like this is something that needs to be out there because golf balls are something that have never been studied in the ocean. It's a completely novel source of pollution. And like I said earlier, we were really captivated by the idea of point source pollution because there's actually a potential for change there. And so Matt was stoked and I was stoked. And so together we worked for about a year to publish a scientific research paper. That's so cool. Um, I think you brought up an interesting note that I wanted to hit on a few different notes that we'll go back to, but one on uh, it being a novel source of plastic pollution. I think, you know, the the conservation community loves to argue about like, what, where should we be focusing our efforts? Like, do straws matter, right? Like, yeah, they're not the biggest thing, but it's kind of top of the funnel getting people into ocean conservation, et cetera. I think what's really interesting about the golf ball thing is that we whack a ball into the ocean and then we just don't think twice about it right? Like we see beach pollution, we see litter and we go, oh, that shouldn't be there. But we'll hit a ball into the wild, into the forest, into a river, pond, lake, ocean. And we're just like, well, oh, well, Mm -hmm. it's gone. And that's it. The fact that we accept that as normal, like you've said that before, like it's crazy that we just kind of accept that. Well, this is what happens. It's Mm -hmm. bonkers. (laughs) And it's also crazy to think that most people, most golfers I've talked to expect the corporations to be cleaning up after themselves. Which is absolutely, really? yeah, I mean, it's, it's is it expected. An ex- expect- is it an expectation or an assumption? I, I would say it's an assumption. Yeah. Um, but they're still assuming that Pebble Beach is going out there and cleaning up their ball. And so I would 
I would imagine they have a little bit less guilt hitting it into the ocean, assuming that someone's going to go after it and clean it up. But at the same time, if I'm playing a game, you know, if you're playing Frisbee and you lose your Frisbee into the ocean, you're like, oh, darn, I was having so much fun. But you don't think about, oh, my God, my Frisbee's going to go break down and maybe a turtle's going to eat some microplastics in 20,000 years. Right, right. Yeah, that's fascinating. So the other note you touched on there was talking about being a 16-year-old girl uh, approaching a golf course and diving into academia. Um, do you feel like you hit a headwind there? Do you think that, you know, as, as a young girl, did you get brushed aside? Did you run into the patriarchy, so to speak? And, you know, you're talking about academia, which tends to be old white guys. And you're talking about golf, which is old white guys, mostly, you know, mostly, mostly on both fronts. And th- those things are changing. But generally, you're talking about, you know, sort of institutional groups that might easily brush you aside. Did you did you run into that? Absolutely. Um, they loved doing the like pat on the back. Here's a t-shirt. We're super proud of you. Like we can't believe you're doing this. This is incredible. And then close the door and talk about how they're not going to make a change. Really? I... I had a meeting with um, Pebble Beach, the Sanctuary, the Aquarium, um, Noah, just a couple really like powerful, the group that was able to make the change at the end. But I met with them probably a couple months into the project and said, this is what I'm finding. I gave them a 40 minute presentation of like, this is where I'm finding these are the hotspots. These are where the golf balls go in the different seasons. This is everything I see. And then here's my three step solution for it. And they were like, great job. We can't believe you came up with all that. That's incredible. Here's a rash guard here's some stickers like we're gonna see what we can do and we'll get back to you and then a rash guard yeah that was <laughs> <laughs> sorry and so and then what and then they closed the door and they had their meeting about how this isn't a primary effort for them right now and they moved on and that's when i said i'm not moving on because this is pissing me off um, and so it was almost like the more the more they'd push me back, the more I'd fight harder because I'd get angrier and angrier. Um, it's so funny because here you are saying that you're angry, but you have a giant smile on your face. <laughs> well, you got to keep smiling in this in this world. You know, if you're in the plastic pollution world, you got to come at it optimistically because that's the only way we're going to get anywhere. Yeah. So you got angrier and angrier. You kept going. Like, how did you persevere? What 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 kept you going? The ocean. Yeah. Golf ball diving, cleaning it up, um, surfing, free diving, literally just experiencing the ocean like everyone that surfs and everyone that dives and everyone that uses the ocean as their sanctuary. Like I feel like even if I'm not a golfer, I'm still contributing to some sort of plastic pollution problem because we all are. It's inevitable in our right. society. Um, and so if I want to go out and experience the ocean, then I need to be doing something to keep it clean for the people that come after me. I just finished a, a long through hike on the Pacific Crest Trail and out in in the, out in the woods, we have a principle called leave no trace. And so it's take only photos, leave only footprints. You know, um, you want everyone hiking behind you to experience the beauty you saw so they can be equally as happy and stoked about it. And so that's how I feel when I go in the ocean. You got to leave it at least good or better than you found it. I love it. You're, you're spot on. You're giving me chills just talking about it. It's so inspiring. Um, so so you persevered. So what were the kind of the next steps? You, you published this paper. What were some of the findings? What are, what are kind of the top line statistics uh, from that paper? So my paper primarily, so it was a baseline study, meaning that because there was nothing talked about in the golf ball pollution world before, this was basically establishing the fact that there are golf balls in the ocean. And so our three main aspects of it were quantifying the amount out there, um, creating a local scale for the Pebble Beach golf course, but also an estimated scale around the world and putting it to perspective of how many golf courses there are on coasts. Um, And then on the localized scale, we talked about the degradation process and the potential for microplastic pollution there. Uh, We were able to stage the golf balls in stages from one through four or one through five on degradation and figure out how much microplastic has been lost to the ocean um, from the golf balls we founded. And then the third, and I'd argue like the most important part was basically tracking the golf balls. So by using those five different stages and the geographic location that we found each golf ball, we were able to figure out the sources and the sinks. So basically the places the golf balls are entering the ocean and then observing the water currents and the tides and the swells that come in, identify where they travel to and so I mean the implications of that was that the Pebble Beach Golf Course was able to put their primary efforts into the sinks and so these places where golf balls are aggregating in massive amounts from like 500 to 5,000 golf balls on one given day they were able crazy. to so crazy wow yeah so if you so, say that again 500 to 5,000 golf balls in a single like like a honeypot basically just smaller than the room we're in right now 
like wow so these it's an interesting substrate. we're not in a we're not in a, a large room <laughs> right now just for everyone listening um the substrate off of pebble beach is sandstone and so basically when a rock is on the seafloor it gets moved back and forth and it creates these fissures which are basically i mean in our case they're about five feet wide and up to like 15 to 20 30 feet long mm-hmm. and in those fissures, the sea, the depth of water was about seven feet deeper than the sandstone above it. And so it ca- basically creates these channels that are just like hotspot aggregations for golf balls. And, and, and golf balls are negatively buoyant. Yeah. Just or barely. just just slightly. Right. So they move enough. Exactly. So I kind of equate it to like trying to catch feathers in the wind because <laughs> a feather will will stay on the ground, obviously, because we have gravity here. But the second any sort of movement comes, any sort of turbidity, the feathers are going to fly around. And so that's exactly what it's like underwater. Yeah, that's I mean, that sounds like quite a chase. I mean, it's an athletic endeavor, basically. And you're doing this all free diving. Yeah. No scuba? No, we're in the water is a little bit too shallow. We're right in the surf zone. And so if you scuba dive, you're you're at risk of entanglement. Obviously, there's a bunch of rocks. We're right on a coastline. And so it's a bit sketchier. And it's also like quite a haul to get out there. Uh, when we launch off of Carmel Beach, it's about a half mile walk and then a half mile swim. And then you get to your place. And so like that kind of sucks with a scuba tank on. Yeah, I can imagine. But I mean, it also sucks when you're carrying how many pounds of golf yeah. balls back up when you're finished. Yeah. What's crazy is you're doing all this. You're, you're persevering. What was the turning point? Because at some point you got Pebble Beach Golf Course to... to engage here Mm -hmm. so basically going back to that meeting i had at the very very start of this um at the end of the meeting pebble beach said they're gonna go silent and so they stopped they cut off communications with me and so that was the main part that fueled my fire and that's why i spent the year um collecting data in a more like strategical way to create the scientific paper publish the scientific paper and it was incredible to see that once it was published it got published in the marine pollution bulletin in january and within i want to say two and a half weeks the sanctuary the national marine sanctuary and pebble beach company had a signed document for the next five years of 200 underwater cleanups a year, weekly beach cleanups, an education program to educate the caddies to tell the golfers not to hit the golf balls in the ocean, to have signage, and to have more information in the clubhouse about this. That's so cool. I mean, that must have felt amazing. Yeah, it was like... How did you react? I mean, I was like, well, it's about time, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it was obviously a massive celebration. Um, It... It really showed me how science has the power to change everything. Like all of these activism fronts need to be based off of science because the second we have scientific data supporting our words, we're unstoppable. You know, science is the one thing that can actually change the world because it's it's real. Interesting. I think there are some people who would beg to differ. Um, <laughs> we can leave them out of the conversation. I would tend to agree with you. Um, but there are some people who don't believe in science, which is funny because you can't believe or not believe in science it's science it's fact um that's so incredible i mean you've got to be so proud of yourself and and your team uh who worked on this it's it's really cool now you were also in school during all this were you not yeah finishing high school i was so when i came home from my semester abroad i went straight into community college let's back up on the semester abroad who does semester abroad in high school is that a thing now (laughs) <laughs> how come I didn't get to go away during high school? <laughs> yeah, it was probably one of the most epic experiences of my life. Well, let's let's talk about it. Um, I was at the island school in the Bahamas. Right. It's a it's a four and a half month long um, semester where basically we have two dorms and one room, and that one room is in air quotes your classroom. But every single thing you do is outside. Um, our math classes were calculating how much water in our cisterns to see if we have to take ocean showers or if we can take real showers. Um, our art classes were environmental art. We're we're going out into nature and we're doing scientific illustration and things like that. For science, we were scuba diving and doing marine ecology, and then we. We'd have we'd have an hour dive and we'd come up and have a think tank where we'd talk about what we saw in terms of ecology down there. Um, histories were history of the Bahamas, learning how people moved into the land and how they used the land for their survival and the challenges they faced. And so basically everything we learned there was applied to our environment. And like every single like living moment on the island was related to the environment. That's incredible. That's it, so cool. Yeah. Was it a life changing experience? Absolutely. That's amazing. And I imagine you meet some incredible people there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, there's also a physical test, right? Uh-huh. To- we did a four mile super swim, which was like to graduate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the alternative was what? A half marathon or uh, something? Yeah. 
That's incredible. It is epic, yeah. <laughs> and so that's actually where I met Nevin, which is now on our team with the plastic pickup. Yeah. Um, and his brother Toby went the semester before us. And so we have this awesome network of Island School students that are running the plastic pickup now. I think after we were so inspired by the sustainability and marine um, biology we learned there that we just we got to keep keep on with it. Super cool. So you're in school, you're at the Island School, um, and then you come back. And was there a challenge of doing all this work while you're in school? Absolutely. Um, I went straight into community college and I was living away from home also. I was also taking 21 course units of STEM classes and playing beach volleyball for my college. And so it was definitely a cram there. And I was the semester before I was working basically a full-time job. And so it was a massive balancing act. But I don't know, the idea of being able to create that change and making them responsible of cleaning up their trash because how much longer am I going to be around to clean up after, you know? If the golf course is there, they should be responsible for cleaning up after themselves. Um, And so just the thought of having a change made there was the one thing that kept me going. That's awesome. Did you did you run it? Did you, were your parents supportive the whole way? I mean, your dad is the one who introduced you to the ocean and brought you out there and he's been a part of it. But did they support the whole way or like, hey, you got to focus on school? Did, were you ever coming up of like, a, should I drop out and do this full time or what? Um, They were I mean, yeah, they're absolutely supportive the whole time. They were more stoked about the science. They're like, screw your history class. Like you can <laughs> get a C in that. It doesn't matter. Like, don't waste your time on that. You're doing like doc, like legitimate research here with a postdoctoral. This is where you're going to learn. You're not going to learn in your stupid community college history classes and English classes and stuff like that. And so it was it was fun to be able to kind of create my own education plan through that and learn what I want to learn. You know, you don't have to stick to your high school education. You can go out and study something that you're way more interested in. It doesn't matter how old you are. Yeah. Well, I think about the applied learning that you're, that you're doing there and, and you, you're touching across, you know, both science, activism, communications, right? Uh, actual field research, right? I mean, you're touching on a number of different fields. So you have this breadth of knowledge now that's really impressive. Not to mention, again, that learning of as a young person, how do you break through? How do you take your project from this is a thing where I'm picking up golf balls? And like, I don't, I, I assume some students or friends like made fun of you or joked around and be like what are you what are you gonna do with all these golf balls you know or whatever I don't know maybe not but I could imagine there being this weird sort of what am I doing with this but you turned it into something very real and tangible a tangible impact and now you're trying to take it to the next level and so curious what lessons what lessons did you learn what tips would you give to other people who are out there looking at their local community and saying there's a problem here and I want to I want to do something about it whether it's trying to get a ban on you know maybe plastic bottles in your local community the way the kids did in Martha's Vineyard or whatever it is you know what what tips do you have if there are a few um related to your experience yeah I, I would just encourage people to like recognize the fact that everyone has the power within them to act it's the choice to act that we have a hard time with there's a lot of talk about um i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this but it's it's just creating the action around it and once you start acting upon it you realize how easy it is and how easy it is to inspire other people to do it um i think definitely the biggest challenge i had was public speaking because I am like I was the kid that would hide behind their parents legs until I was like, no oh absolutely I, was, I don't believe that at this point <laughs> I was such a shy kid I, I was absolutely not stoked about talking to anyone ever which is why I'm an ocean kid you know I, I go to the ocean for my sanctuary you know I don't have to talk to anyone out there I can just surf and swim and dive and it's all silent and beautiful um and so it was definitely like going from that kind of background and being thrown in front of a camera on national tv asking me questions about what I'm doing I was like there's absolutely no way I'm gonna do that and I remember the first, I remember the first like local newspaper interview I got and I was so scared. I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. And then I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, do you care? Like, do you care about making a change? Well, obviously I've gone this far. Well then go answer the questions, get your word out there and continue to fight for this. And so like step by step, I got more comfortable talking to people, which turned into radio interviews or TV interviews and all that kind of thing. And then, I mean, eventually you just have to realize to put put everything aside except what you're fighting for it doesn't matter what people think of you it doesn't matter the image you give off as long as it represents what you care about like people are gonna hate and that's fine it's their problem it's not my problem I'm here to I'm here to clean the ocean I'm here to make my bay not have golf balls in it and that's the only thing I care about so I don't know that's awesome 
That's so cool. Like super inspiring, you know? Um, and I, I think your focus and determination are really, really powerful. So it's really cool. It's an incredible model. Are there other, um, more practical sort of tips, you know, like you kind of mentioned science and being able to publish like data to back up your argument, uh, to get through to the, the, you know, the Marine sanctuary and to get through the golf course, were there techniques or tactics that you used or things that you thought really helped? I mean, you know, your the postdoc that you worked with was from Stanford. Um, not everybody has that kind of access, but is there, is it bringing in a mentor? Were there mentors who really helped kind of back you up? Absolutely. Um, another one of the huge things I learned that I always, whenever I'm talking to a group of kids, especially I tell them adults are so stoked to help out and constantly. Yeah. We um, don't know what we're doing. We're all, we're all just, we're like, that's why adults always ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because they're looking for ideas. They're kind of like, <laughs> what, what do I want to do with myself? And then they're young, passionate people who figured it out early and we're like, Oh, cool. All right. We want to help you. Great. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the big things I would say, like never feel self-conscious about reaching out to someone, like just sending an email and whoever it may be, whatever you may be interested in, there's always people excited out there to help people that are interested in getting involved. Marcus Erickson, Anna Cummins, Diana Cohen, so many, Jackie Nunez, all these people were so excited to help out and, and really like put my first foot in the door of this world um, in microplastic and plastic pollution. And so that would be one of the big things. So you touched on a bunch of names there. Uh, Marcus and Anna and everybody um, the Kim and Jack Johnson were, have also been supportive right weren't they they were kind of early on absolutely so my freshman year of high school I was assigned a 15 page research paper about someone who's changing the world and I don't know if you've really caught on this vibe but I hate English which is why I do science and so <laughs> you, I was, you hate the subject the the I hate having the to course. write yes oh you know okay <laughs> I mean you're speaking English beautifully right now but um okay so I was not excited about that, but the topic, someone who's changing the world, I was like, okay, I can get behind that. Um, and Jack Johnson is basically the only musician I've known since I was in a crib. And so I was, I knew, I knew a lot about what he was doing, but definitely not enough. And so I figured this might be an interesting topic for me to dive into. And that was like, that's kind of a place that shifted my perspective on English because I had so much fun writing this paper. I was constantly so inspired by everything Jack and his wife Kim are doing and his quote individual action multiplied by millions creates global change is something that really stuck to me and that's actually what caused me to go out and start collecting microplastics which led to finding the golf balls and basically it just pushed me through the entire process of the plastic pickup and establishing what we are now very cool and they and they got behind this current project yeah so they've been huge supporters the whole way um they're currently working with us on the for the wave sculpture and they were supporters from the start of that and we're really excited to have them on board too so let's talk about the for the wave sculpture and we're going to have a, a dive a dive dive a deep dive conversation with ethan as well but you're now sitting on top of 50,000 golf balls in your garage and, and they smell, I learned. Uh, and so you were kind of thinking, what do we do next? Right. Or did you always have an idea that you would use them somehow? I mean, did you have an, an end plan in mind when you picked up those first thousand and you went, all right, what am I going to do with these? Start a driving range. I mean, I don't know, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, always from the start was a big question of what are we going to do with this? I've always wanted to create an art piece out of it because I mean, art is the best way to express something to people. It's, you're not putting a message onto them, but you're allowing them to interpret the message that you want them to see. And so actually Matthew connected me with Ethan and Matthew, I, the postdoc. Yeah. Matthew okay. Savoga. Um, he connected me with Ethan and I reached out and said, I have 50,000 stinky golf balls. Um, <laughs> are you interested in creating an art piece out of it? Because Ethan Estes, we haven't really talked about who he is, but he's this incredible artist up in Santa Cruz and he uses plastic pollution like rope and different things reclaimed from the ocean to create a story and kind of teach people scientific messages in an artistic way. And so I thought that would be a perfect person to put this together. And when he agreed and was excited about it, I was like, oh my gosh, we have lucked out. This is incredible. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, over the past year about, we've been working on this For the Wave sculpture. We started building it at the start of this year and we just finished it up a couple weeks ago. So, all right. So for some context, um, it's currently, uh, end of September and you started on it in January. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's like 10 months. <laughs> yeah. It's a long time. Um, did you settle on a wave right away? Um, when we first 
started talking about it, we were thinking some sort of mural, like one two dimensional on a wall, trying to figure out how to do that. And I was like, and we were, we were thinking about a wave though, a big wave mural to show like these golf balls came from the ocean. And then I was like, okay, I have a crazy idea. What if we make it three dimensional so people can get barreled in this? Like what if it's peeling out of the wall? How cool would that be? Um, and Ethan was all for that. And then we were in this struggle of where do we put it? Like what audience is going to gain from this? Do we do it in Carmel and Pebble Beach where the golfers can see or local people that understand that these golf balls were pulled out of their bay can see that it's coming from the ocean or do we do it in Santa Cruz or where's the best installation place for this? And we, we were having a hard time there because over time, you know, art just becomes a part of the part of the place you know mm-hmm. part of the location that it's in um and so ethan came back with this epic idea to put it on a trailer and so now that the golf ball wave is on a trailer it's mobile it has an infinite audience because it can literally go anywhere and yeah we can just reach an, an infinite amount more people super cool uh, yeah i mean i think when we go deep with ethan we'll we'll talk about this but a lot of this was learned from our first wave that we did together uh, at pipeline and you know he's a savvy builder and he built it section in these sections so that he could take it apart and rebuild it and da 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 but he learned very quickly that there's something powerful in a wave and people hit us up right away as soon as we built this previous wave out of uh, marine debris and rope and fishing fishing line and everything people are like oh can we get that thing over here i mean people asked us immediately if we could ship it to california and ethan and i chuckled to ourselves because we were like well the carbon footprint alone of that kind of negates all the good that <laughs> the message uh, is so we we're like well okay maybe we end up building another one over here and how do we make it so that it can it can travel and this thing you know i've been up there uh, i was up there in march when you were building and that thing i saw the underlying skeleton so to speak and it is a beast i mean it, sure it is. is metal it is on a trailer it's 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 gonna it's built to last exactly um which is super cool um so you know so we we you kind of unveiled it last week at the surf ranch for the freshwater pro um how was that how is it well first of all i know the backstory how was that week leading up to <laughs> the unveiling and mind you you also like Ethan went off to do uh, marine re- to, to tuna fishery research in Japan in the middle of this project, and you hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. And like, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy how you all packed in so much while still getting this project done, just in the nick of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty insane. So I, luckily and unfortunately, didn't get to experience the full grind of the last week. But as I hear, they were up from 6 a.m. to 4 a.m. basically every day uh, finishing up the wave. I flew in uh, the night before we were taking it to Surf Ranch or two nights before and we stayed up till 4.30 a.m. both nights, woke up at 6 a.m. again to finish it. And so it was a final grind at the end there, but it was so worth it because watching the crowd interact with it at Surf Ranch and watching people's jaws drop when they notice that these golf balls are brown, not because we painted them, but because they've been tumbling in the ocean for so long and all that plastic is in the environment that we all love so much. Um, it was really inspiring to see other people get inspired and stoked by it. And so the lack of sleep was definitely worth it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the, you know, um, so now we're here at the Ohana Festival, mm-hmm. um, which is its next destination on, on the tour. Um and it was, I, I picked up on that yesterday when I heard you speaking to somebody and you said, yeah, none of these golf balls are painted. This is from the natural wear and erosion of them being in the ocean. And it's so funny because I think people might assume that because it's got this brown and white pattern. And so for people listening, it's essentially, a, you know, a, an A-frame wave uh, barrel, right? And you've got all these golf balls that are basically you've drilled holes through them put a wire through them and then kind of link them up on a metal frame to create it. But it has, it looks like a Clark little closeout beach break, you know, that sandy foamy kind of wave. Uh, so it's got the white and sand Brown kind of color to it. And it's really beautiful and cool. And from afar, you don't really know what it is until you get up close and you go, Oh, these are golf balls. But I remember yesterday when I heard you d- describe that and say, Oh, they're not painted. It's from the erosion. People kind of go, Oh, and that's when it sort of clicks for people, mm-hmm. um, which I think is super cool. How has the reaction been? I mean, you know, is everyone, does everyone react positively, negatively? I mean, how has it been amongst the surf audience? the golf audience, the overlap of that, you know, there are many surfers who golf and vice versa Mm -hmm. Do people kind of go, Oh crap, I got to get better at golf. So I keep the ball (laughs) on the course. I mean, that's the ultimate solution, right? It's like, stop, stop accidentally whacking it into the ocean or stop purposefully hitting it into the ocean. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. How's that reaction been? And what, and what have you seen people say, Oh, I gotta, I gotta be a part of this change. Do you think it's changing behavior? Is it educating? Is it inspiring people? And you know, what talking points are working best? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's definitely um, generally positive. It I think it's really helping people understand how just by hitting one golf ball in the ocean, maybe I'm I'm playing one round on the course and I hit one golf ball in the ocean and I think, oh, that I feel bad, but that's one golf ball. So what, what is that going to do? And then if everyone everyone behaves that way and everyone thinks that way, then we end up with a problem like this. And I think it's most important to talk about how this isn't targeted towards golfers. This is, in the last sense, targeted towards golfers are polluting the ocean. You know, we're all doing it. We're focusing on golf balls here because that's something that I found in my backyard and I got to free dive to do it. But if we look at the big scale of plastic pollution, it's single use. It's people that are getting in the wave to get barreled and they're holding their single use water bottle. And that's the people that we talk about we talked to about, you know, this is the same issue, you know, by choosing to use a single use water bottle, it's going to be on this planet for the rest of existence past past when we're here. And so just by simply shifting into an alternative like a hydro flask or any sort of water bottle like that, you are immediately completely changing your footprint on the planet. And I think that's really helping people see that like that one choice to keep your golf ball on the green or to create change in the golf course so that they go out there and they clean it up. That's going to be making those big differences over time. Um, it's really just that mindset change that we're trying to create is thinking a little bit more, you know, I'm going to go get my pokey bowl or whatever it is and they put a plastic fork in it and you're okay well at least it came in paper but this fork kind of sucks and then you eat your food and you toss it away and that goes into the landfill forever um so it's just it's just identifying that the, there's these plastic sources everywhere that you think are small but they really do add up when every single person allows it to happen and so this the easy alternatives to just bring your plastic bring your plastic alternative with you um has definitely been some of the take-home messages there yeah, and I mean, you know, what's crazy, the coincidence was the the study published, I think it was, ooh, maybe May, um, Dr. Anella Choi, who's based out of Scripps, um, but did some work with Monterey Bay um, Aquarium, researching uh, microplastic uh, pollution distribution in the water column. So most research has been done at the surface level, uh, and this is actually researching deep in the water column. And it said that Monterey Bay, uh, I believe, was equivalent to uh, like the plastic distribution of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and or worse. Just saying, it's all right there. Um, and we we've done our our research at the surface, and it's like, okay, great, it's everywhere, but it's actually it's deep in the water column. Water column. And this is a very deep problem, and the I believe the resulting. One of the results of that research or one of the conclusions they were drawing is how much of this is single use um, based on the polymer type, um, which is just such a bummer. Now, on the one hand, you know, I, I always struggle with this, the individual versus the collective action, right? I mean, we as individuals, yes, have choice and need to make those choices. And to me, those are our reaffirming sort of um, I'm part of this cause. But I try not to ever blame people and say like, oh, it's, you know, it's the individual consumer's fault because this all goes way back to, you know, the Keep America Beautiful campaign of the 1970s that tried to pin all of pollution on the individual consumer when there are systems in place that have brought this uh, to us. So it's this really tough balance. But I do think that individual action like you're talking about, it's your commitment every day and it makes you think. And once you see plastic, once you see single use in your life, you can't unsee it. And I think that's what's a really cool thing. And what you're doing with this project is helping people see a new form of plastic that they go, oh yeah, golf balls shouldn't be single use. I mean, I remember in your research paper, it was something about the number of golf balls that a golfer goes through in a year. What's the, it's, do you remember the number off the top of your head? Cause I don't. I remember that, um, golf, golf balls on like over the course of a year, there's 300 million golf balls lost to the environment. Right. That's crazy. And that, that goes for forests and lakes and rivers and sure. all that stuff, but it is still getting into our ocean. And another aspect that our study did find was that golf balls that get into the rivers do obviously eventually flow into the ocean. And so at the Carmel River mouth, we found thousands of golf balls that flowed in when the river was running. And to hit back on one of the points you were just talking about, how there's a lot of plastic in the benthic layer of the ocean, 70% of plastics in our planet sink. And so what we see on the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and all these different gyres around the world, all this smog on the surface of the ocean is only 30% of what's actually in our ocean. And so that was one of the driving forces that, that Ethan and I were trying to highlight with this what's this wave is bringing people down under the ocean with me, letting them see what I see on the bottom and bringing it to the surface to create this wave. So I, yeah, with it, we were just trying to show that yes, there's plastic pollution. We see it floating in the ocean when we surf, we see all this, but that's only such a small fraction of it. Yeah, totally. And I think um, we're going to link to the little video that we put together with you um, and some of the, we'll link to the plastic pickup in the show notes, but um, the images, you know, you have those, those uh, seals just swimming around and there's just piles of golf balls in the ocean. And that's when, when you really see it, it really does hit home. 
Um, how's the reaction been here at Ohana Fest? It's been great. Everyone yeah. everyone has been stoked to get in. It's it's definitely funny when someone comes up with a Titleist hat and <laughs> I like I tell them, you know, I'll take your Not photo. Not to name any names. <laughs> if you hop in the barrel, I'll take your photo and they just look at me and they cover their eyes and they go, I'm a golfer. I'm so embarrassed. I can't do this. And I mean, those times, most most importantly, you, you have to tell them, you know, it's it's not golf golfers. We're here to target. It's everyone. You know, we're yeah. all a part of this plastic pollution problem. Um but yeah, it's been a really good it's been a really good crowd overall. Everyone's been really excited and really captivated by the piece itself. So where to next? Or and, and what do you want to accomplish in, in say the year ahead? So our goal for next year is definitely to create some sort of itinerary to take it on the road for a good while. Um it's been incredible how just after Surf Ranch we've already been emailed by a numerous amount of different um like festivals and conferences and stuff and a lot of them are actually really more education based than like a festival would be like a a conference that has people from all around the world talking about sustainability and lawmakers and stuff like that and so honestly that's the most exciting part is being reached out to by these places where we have people that are actually involved in the process of creating change and being able to be there and talk to them that's the most important part because at these festivals we're definitely hitting those individual actions and those individual changes but having these connections to hire up people we can help them have the education they need to bring this to the table on a higher level and so that's the most exciting part for me cool um what are you most excited about in the year ahead in general What's what's what are you stoked about? I mean, you're generally a stoked person. You're super positive and optimistic. And so well, like what on your on your radar in the, the year ahead are you really excited about? I have a pretty crazy year coming up. I'm leaving for Australia in T minus four days. What? I am. Yeah, I'm taking a year abroad. So I worked amazing and saved up money while I was writing the paper. And so I'm going to Australia for four months and then I'm going to go to Indonesia. And I think that might be what I'm most excited for. My passion is definitely around sharks. Um, and I'm going to go work at a research base there and work on shark finning research for about four months while doing my dive master. And so I'm really excited to be able to help out in that, in that area too, doing scientific diving and providing research for that government. Wow, that's super cool. Where in Indo? It's going to be off Nusa Panita, so it's southeast of Bali. Very cool. Well, we have uh, plenty of friends out there and, uh, you know, connects in the WSL world in Australia and Indonesia. So we'll have to put you in touch. Um, we'd be happy to have you continue to spread the message. Absolutely. Um, you know, you're clearly inspirational and doing incredible work. And it's really been a pleasure to be a part of this project in some small way. And um, yeah, I don't know anything else that you you want to hit on. I think we hit it. I mean, I'm just I'm stoked to be able to talk to everyone over this podcast and everyone else that we reach. It's really exciting to be able to talk to all these watermen that care about the ocean and get more people excited about making those shifts in their lifestyle to create a more healthy ocean that'll last for all of our future generations. Super well said. Thanks, Alex. This was great. Yeah, thank you. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to know there are people like Alex out there. I'm excited to see what's next for her and where her journey will take her. Hopefully you are too, and hopefully you make the choice to act. We recorded our conversation months ago now, and that phrase has really stuck with me, the choosing to act, you know, taking the choice to act. So take that with you uh, in your day-to-day. -day. Before we go, we're going to take a look around the ocean and our inboxes to highlight what else is happening in ocean news. We're calling this segment Flotsam and Jetsam because those are really fun words. <laughs> and to help out this week, my friend and teammate here at the WSL, Kim Hogan. Hi, Kim. Hi, Reese. What's going on? Uh, not a lot. <laughs> Uh, I don't believe you, but um, <laughs> well, let's get right into it. So first things first, one of the biggest topics that we've been covering in the WSL is the fight for the bite. Um, for those of you unfamiliar, the Great Australian Bite is the southern coastline of Australia, and uh, it's been proposed to, to be drilled for oil, and the Australian surfing community has just rallied against this, you know, starting way back in the beginning of the year and continuing today. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really amazing. Um, and it's been really wonderful to see a community um, that you don't typically think of as, um, you know, super active in any sort of sphere um, besides in surfing. And so to see the whole surf community sort of evangelized around this thing has been really amazing. Yeah, it's been incredible. And I think um, I just love the community aspect, you know, what they have planned, uh, which is going to be happening like today in Australia, are paddle outs around the country. So they're shooting for, I think, over 50 paddle outs around the country telling the government we do not want 
this drilling in the bite. It's just so cool to see that activism. Yeah, and they're enormous. Like the paddle out last year was so many people. No joke. It was insane. Yeah. yeah. And so now um, I can't wait to see um, the size and the number of people who are involved. The, n- the number of voices that have been involved online has been really overwhelming. So I'm um, really excited to see how many people show up. Yeah. And shout out to Damien Cole, who's been leading a lot of the effort. Patagonia has been um, promoting it a ton. They have a film out about it. A bunch of our surfers got behind the effort. Ace Buckin is posting on his personal channels. John John Florence and Nikki Van Dyke and Owen Wright all paddled out earlier this year. It's just, it's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And people are like bummed to be in Hawaii because they want to be paddling out. Totally. <laughs> in Oz. It's totally. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, number two, what do we got? Yeah. Um, number two is uh, the story in the New York Times about um, Oxford Dictionary naming climate emergency their word of the year, um, which you, is pretty You incredible. love the New York Times. I love the Times. Everyone on my team makes fun of me because I call it the Times also. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the most highfalutin member of the team for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, that's super cool. I mean, to name climate emergency the the word or phrase of the year, and it just goes to show how much that activism, like the fight for the bite, like Greta Thunberg, like the climate strikes, are are, are having. Absolutely. And I think it's really cool to see um, such a, um, a major sort of voice in the world of language itself taking a stand in terms of policy and or not policy, but like sort of society and the issues that that affect everyone. I think last year it was related to Me Too. And this year it's related to climate, like very, very, very important sort of movements. Yeah. And, and words matter. Right. So having the right words to describe what we're in. And so the Guardian earlier this year said it's not climate change. It's a climate crisis. I think Oxford was right to land with a climate emergency mm. versus climate change is a phrase. Um, so, yeah, I think it is an emergency. we got to act. Crisis is a little scary, though. So right. climate emergency feels right. 911, baby. <laughs> and I think the cool thing about words, uh, you know, changing and, and, and being, uh, you know, raising this level of awareness, it enables new ideas to then have more of a platform right they, they don't seem so far off and so the final one that we had this week was um in smithsonian mag uh, there's a story about bioplastic made from fish scales wild. and like this may have seemed <laughs> wild now i'm like yeah totally like our, our verbiage and our sort of mental space has gotten to a place where we're like okay, I'm on board with that. Yeah, and I think in 2019, we're sort of less shocked at the idea or less like grossed out at the idea of the, you know, the materials we use being made from something else. I feel like there's this like sort of generational notion that things that are made from creatures <laughs> was super weird. <laughs> but now I'm like, yeah, cool. I'll, t- I'll like cover my food in a thing made of plastic scales. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, and it, it also, I mean, the, the amazing thing about this product that was made by um, a British designer, Lucy Hughes, uh, is that it's actually gonna be truly biodegradable. Um, so that's really powerful, right? So I don't even care what it's made out of, similar to what you're saying, but most importantly, how does it act in the, uh, in the wild for years to come? You know, what would be cool is if it was like, um, (laughs) like when you cover your food in plastic to, to save it, but then imagine if it could crumble on top and leave like umami flavor on top and you just eat it, (laughs) you just eat it and it turns into a, a delicious, um, spice. You, you might be onto something. <laughs> that might be a business idea. Kim's leaving the podcast it, after Lizzie. episode one <laughs> with her new business idea. Um, awesome. Kim, thanks for hanging with Flotsam and Jetsam. Thanks, Reese. This podcast is made possible by WSL Pure and WSL Studios. Pure stands for protecting, understanding, and respecting the environment, and it is the nonprofit arm of the World Surf Fleet. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and empower ocean protection. You can find us online at WSL Pure on Instagram or on your worldwide web machine at WSLPure.org. There you'll be able to find coverage of For the Waves and other work that we did with Alex, and you can check out the show notes for links to the plastic pickup and other references we made in our conversation. And until next week, I hope you can check out your devices. Go for a surf, get outside, and enjoy a little slice of this pale blue dot. See you next week.